0: We're going to go back to a day in the life. We're going to go back a little over 2,000 years ago, and we're going to go back to a day in the life. I think this will help us understand a little bit about what difference any of this makes. So if you can just kind of do your best to imagine with me maybe, but a day in the life of kind of Passover for those people around Jesus' time sort of looked like this. So everybody had to go to Jerusalem at least three times a year. If you were within a 15-mile radius, more or less, you had to go to Jerusalem at least three times a year because you could get to the temple and worship God. The the three times, one of them is Passover, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so they would head to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, most of them, a lot of them had to go down this really interesting road. You've heard it talked about if you heard about the Bible very much. It's called the Jericho Road. And basically, it's a road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And go ahead and hit the next one. This is a picture of at least part of it. And you kind of say, well, where is the road? Exactly. That's exactly it, right there. And you can kind of see on one side is a cliff, and on the other side is a pretty, uh, pretty steep drop-off. If you go ahead and hit it again, I want to show you one more thing. So this is this line right here is the Jericho Road, right? This, this line you see. And if you can just kind of imagine, if you can see... Uh, Again, cliff on one side, cliff on the other. It's a very lonely and treacherous road. Um, this part of the country, there are all kinds of caves. And, and you can see how that winds and goes around corners. And so it's very easy for people to kind of lie and wait for people to come down that road. And there's nowhere to run. I mean, there's nowhere to go. And so um, a lot of times people would be robbed on this road. That wasn't uncommon at all. There was a lot of... Um, lot of violence kind of on this road because you could kind of hide um, easily and so it was it was a lonely road what's interesting is a lot of times you would go as a family and you go as a group just to kind of protect yourself but you knew there was some danger in making this choice making this journey but you had to go so you went go to the next slide if you would And so part of what you would do when you would arrive there at Jerusalem is you would go to this one specific gate. Now, this is really important to to kind of understand in the life of, of people. But what you would do is you would go there and you would find, you would choose a Passover lamb. Now, let me explain something really quick. This dates all the way back, a long time before this. In the Exodus story, and maybe you remember it, but in the Exodus story, God's people had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, which is a long time, and they were really tired of that, and God had sent Moses to help them, and you've probably seen Prince of Egypt, so you know what happens, Um, or maybe you read the Bible, I don't know, but... but in the story, God calls Moses and he sends Moses, right? And, and Moses is, is there. And, and through Moses, God sends these 10 plagues. If you remember and the 10th plague was this plague where the angel of death was to come and take the firstborn of every family. Unless, unless you said, God, we're with you. And the way that you signified that you were with God, that you that you were you were choosing his way was to to take this Passover lamb and and you, you would sacrifice it and you would there was a specific way they were to boil the meat and they would take some of the blood and put it over the doorposts of their house. And if you did that, then the angel of death would pass over, that's where the term comes from, would pass over your home. And so that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, that led pharaoh to let the egyptian the israelites go out of egypt and and you you kind of know the rest of the story there i think so what they do is they remember this so they would go and they would choose this lamb now what what scripture specifically mandates of them is that this this needs to be a perfect as perfect as they can a sheep or a goat if you didn't have enough money for a sheep then goats were a little cheaper than then one of those two and ideally you would raise this yourself had to be exactly almost exactly a year old that was the that was the prescription now, what happened was they kind of made this into a commercial project. I know this is hard to believe, right, but it, they they made money out they figured a way to make money off of this so you had before you entered into into the temple with your with your sacrificial, your passover lamb, and i'll talk a little bit more about that in just one second, but before you entered in, there was somebody there checking that to make sure you you had it was it was a year old that it was it wasn't just a leftover, but it was nice, it was perfect, it was clean, it was... Now, it just so happens that the guy who was checking your lamb to make sure that it was right also happened to have a little side business over here selling goats for, and sheep for people who didn't have one, right? And some people legitimately didn't have one. Maybe something happened to theirs, or, or maybe they just didn't raise... Lambs or whatever, and so they could buy one there. And so he would be kind of there going, oh, let's see if yours is good enough. Oh, nope, yours isn't good enough. Oh, but what do you know? I have one over here for a discounted price, right? You know how that's kind of the used car guy, right? So this was what was happening at this gate. So you would get to this gate, and you would choose. So most families just gave up on the prospect of raising theirs, and they would choose right there this sheep. Now, what's interesting is they would, it's kind of a business, they would raise these sheep in this town called Bethlehem not too far away from Jerusalem. This is where these sheep were born. and They were brought to this gate, and you would choose your Passover lamb for your family. This Passover lamb would represent the sins of your family for the entire year, for the last year. And so what you would do is you would choose that lamb. Then, if you can imagine for a second, you're thinking about the sins of your family. What have we done intentionally against our brother or against God this year? Now, I don't know, I mean, we don't live in this system anymore, but, but you can just kind of imagine if every year you just stopped and took stock for a second of, of all the things I've done over the last year to, to bring distance, to bring brokenness between God and me, or maybe my neighbor, my brother, somebody else, and me. I don't know about you, but I think for many of us, that list is pretty long, and you that, that lamb represents your whole family. And so then they would, go to the next one, then they would have to be thinking about this sin, and, and they would remember the scapegoat. The scapegoat is, is something, they actually didn't observe this at Passover, but it was something that was on their minds often. Because part of what would happen is, once a year, the priest, the high priest would come, and he, there was a goat, and he would he would put his hands on the head of the goat, and he would repent all the sins of the entire people of Israel for the year. So maybe it was things of justice that they had not handled well, or maybe it was just corporate sins that they, maybe there was still poverty in the land, and they weren't, uh, whatever the the corporate things were, and he would just confess those over the head of this goat, and then they would send this goat out to represent, and we still use this term today, right, the scapegoat, the one who takes the sins, who takes the responsibility for everybody else, and so this goat would go out and killed. Representing that those sins are gone. (laughs) Go to the next one if you would. Then then you would sacrifice your lamb. Now this is kind of interesting. Right at Passover there was a specific time at three o'clock in the afternoon on a specific day where they would sacrifice, the priest would sacrifice at the temple one lamb for the sins of all the people. Now, already you had gone through the line and you and your family had sacrificed for your family's sins. But this was for the sins of all the people. The sins that maybe you didn't even realize you had done. They recognized that our brokenness comes at a cost. Stay with me, this is really important. They recognize that the brokenness that we bring to this world comes at a cost. And that a sacrifice had to be made to pay the price for those things. And so, interestingly, they would, at 3 o'clock on this afternoon, this one specific day of Passover, it was the Friday. The next day, Saturday, for them, for the Jews, Saturday was Sabbath. So, this was the Friday. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the the priest would make this sacrifice of the Passover lamb for all the sins of the people. And what's interesting is, right at 3 o'clock, they would blow this. Shofar, this ram's horn. So that wherever you were in the city, whether you were a God-fearing Jew or not, whether if you were just a businessman or whatever, if you were going about your business, it didn't matter. The whole city heard this trumpet blast over the city. And they knew right at that moment the sacrifice had been made for their people. Next one. Now, interestingly, it doesn't always fall this way, But sometimes during the year, sometimes during the way the calendar works for the Jewish calendar, right also on that Friday would be the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a time when they remember part of their story. So we talked about Exodus, and as they walked out of slavery, God provided bread for them. Right? You remember this? Manna from heaven. And they would remember that God provided for them. So they would celebrate this unleavened bread. And so part of what they would remember here is something really simple. They would take a a sheath of wheat. This was the first harvest of wheat of the whole year. So they would take this sheath of wheat and they would shake it symbolically. And what would happen is, if you know anything about wheat, I don't know very much about wheat, but I know this, that it grows, it has life, and then you have to let it die and dry out so that the seeds become... Actually, something that you can plant in the ground and bring life again. And so they would symbolically remember that death brings life. Okay, stay with me. One more thing, and then we'll start making some connections. One more, please. And then on the, on, so they would take Friday, these things would happen. On Saturday, a Sabbath, they wouldn't do anything. And then on the next Sunday, they would begin a celebration of first fruits. This was just an opportunity every year for them. This was the very beginning of their harvest season. The very first fruits would come. And so they would take the best of what they had. God asked us not to give him his our leftovers. Right? And so throughout history, God's people have chosen to, to bring an offering of the first fruits, the best of what they have, right up front. The first fruits to represent, God, we're trusting that you're going to continue to provide. And so we're giving you these first fruits. This is what they would remember during this time. This was an opportunity to give back to God. So I'll ask this question again. What difference does this make? So let's back up in the story for a minute and talk about Jesus. Scripture tells us some very interesting things about how Jesus observed these things. Will you go ahead and hit that again for me, Jared? So Jesus also, Scripture is very clear, made this journey to Jerusalem. Let me just read this from Luke 13. After that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place, go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So basically what he's saying is, look, we, they were saying, you, we know you're headed towards Jerusalem because it's the Passover time of year, and that's what every good Jew does, and that's what you're going to do, but don't do it because Herod's in Jerusalem. He's waiting for you He wants to kill you. And this is Jesus' response. Go tell that Fox, which is not a nice thing to say in that day. Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In my case, in any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. He was saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what God's asked me to do, and this is where I'm headed. This is where I'm going. And so Jesus, now, if you can just imagine for a minute, okay, if you know the story of the gospels at all, Jesus has been loving people, 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 loving people. Are you tired of it yet? Loving people, loving people, loving people. And guess what? We like that sometimes, but if we're honest, we don't like it all the time because sometimes that means that people we don't like Jesus loved. Sometimes that means rules that we think are really important, Jesus said, "Well, that rule is important, but love's more important." And so people are getting pretty upset with him. And in fact, if you read the Gospels, it's clear the Pharisees and some others are getting madder and madder and madder and madder at Jesus. And so he knows somewhere in his heart and head what he's headed towards. Now, we believe Jesus was fully divine and fully human, and, and we don't really know how much Jesus knew in terms of what he was headed towards, except that we know for sure Jesus knew he was headed towards something in Jerusalem at this time so can you imagine just for maybe maybe you can put yourself in his in his mindset for a second the beginning of this road this Jericho road this lonely dark road now his disciples would have been with him so he probably didn't feel too much in danger like for being robbed or something but you have to believe it's a long kind of journey and many places you can't really walk side by side with someone you're just kind of single file so it's hard to have conversation. There are places where you just kind of, it just forces contemplation. Can you imagine what Jesus was thinking about? I'm going somewhere where people are probably going to kill me. But he made that choice anyway. Next slide. So we talked about the path. Go ahead. We talked about the path. And then what's interesting, we talked about this place at the gate, this very specific gate where they would find this Passover lamb. They would pick this lamb without blemish, a year old, that came from Bethlehem. This is kind of interesting. I'm going to read this from, um, from Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he said two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one's ever ridden on. Tie it, bring it here. If anyone asks why, just say that the Lord needs it. And so they did that and I'm gonna jump ahead a couple of verses. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. So to understand, if, to read between the lines, the gate of the sheep was right beside the Mount of Olives. Okay? So Jesus is going in this exact same gate. Where they would choose a Passover lamb. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. The one without sin entered this gate. Do you see the connection here? And so it says that Jesus got on this colt and he started riding it into the city. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, that gate, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And then as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Only the second place scripture tells us that Jesus cried. See, the same exact place where people would be choosing their Passover lambs for sacrifice is the exact same place where Jesus entered the city. What's interesting is that the people then didn't get it, right? They didn't understand who Jesus really was. We don't get it either. All right, next slide. So we talked about the scapegoat, the one who would take... The sins that that the priest would confess these sins over and they would take him outside of the city to represent the the sins leave of the people leaving that God would forgive them. It's interesting what happens. We know that in, in Passover, Jesus enters that that Palm Sunday week that we remember where he rides in. And then if you know the rest of the story of that week, what happens time after time after time that he gets betrayed, right? And we know the story about persecution that comes, the people lie about him and the trials, and then this happens. John 19, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him. They led Jesus outside of the city, the one who would take our sins outside of the city to be killed. Next slide. You remember I said that the one Passover lamb was killed at 3 o'clock at a specific time of day. Well, guess what? Jesus was on the cross, and at exactly the ninth hour, let me read this right from Scripture, from Matthew 20, verse yeah, Matthew 27. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. The ninth hour would be three o'clock in our, in our clock. Ninth hour, uh, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those standing there heard this. They said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, got a sponge, filled it with wine, vinegar, put it on a stick, offered it to Jesus to drink, the rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Luke says, Jesus literally says, it is finished. And then this is fascinating. John records that at that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks split. See, what you have to understand is at this very moment, in the temple of, uh, where, where everyone came to worship God, you have to understand there are different courts, there are different kind of levels you can get in, and, and one court outside is kind of the court of the Gentiles, and then the court of the women, where just the Jewish women could, that's as far as they could go, and then the Jewish men, and then The priests, and then there's this one place called the Holy of Holies where they actually had the Ark of the Covenant. And this is the place where on the top of the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be this seat where God actually would come and sit. His presence literally was in this one place on earth. And they separated that. No one could go in there except for once a year the high priest would go in. No one could go in there because that's where God was and no one could be that close. And so they separated that from everything else in the temple with this veil, this curtain. It says it's about a hand's thick. We don't really know how thick it was, but anywhere from 4 to 12 inches thick was this material. That's pretty thick, right? It hung something like 80 feet in the air, okay? So it's a huge piece of material. And at that very moment, 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the Passover lamb would be killed, the trumpet The shofar would have sounded, and Jesus dies. And the veil is ripped in two. Symbolically saying, guess what? Your sins before were for once a year, for once a year, for once a year. This sacrifice is once and for all. That now you don't have to go somewhere to find God because God is everywhere. Next slide. We talked about how death brings life and this Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Next, Go ahead, hit the next one if you would. Jesus died so that we can have life. Those people, those Jews, those especially those following Jesus, this would not have been lost on them, right? They would have understood that, that there's something about the le- death that has to happen to bring life and this death of Jesus is no different. Next slide. First, the, the Feast of first fruits. We talked about this. Go ahead, click it one more time. Of course we know the story that Jesus was raised from the dead we know that Jesus after three days is raised again Jesus becomes God's first fruit his offering from the dead Jesus paid the price for us and Jesus victory is the first fruits of those who would have victory over sin even death stay with me for a second I think this becomes really important for us do you notice in the accounts, do you notice in the accounts, the, tomb, the, the stone is rolled away from the tomb, right? But why is the, do you ever think, why, why, why is the stone rolled away? Do you think Jesus couldn't get out of it If he overcame death, do you really think he couldn't get past the stone? Do you, why do you think the stone was rolled away? Do you think maybe it's so that we could see? Do you think maybe it's so that we would believe? See, part of what happens in this Easter story that changes everything is that sin no longer has victory, but Christ has victory. Now let's back up for one more second. Go ahead and hit it one more time. And let's talk about our journey just for a second. We we wonder what difference does this make? Let's talk about this for a second. What difference does any of this make for us? Go ahead, Jared. We know this, that choosing Christ can be a lonely path. Right? We know that there are lots of people around us who don't understand this. And there are places and times when we make this choice that people will, to be frank, persecute, talk bad about us, treat us differently. The question is, are we willing to make the choice? To follow, next slide. We talked about this Palm Sunday, this Lamb, this this one when Jesus Himself, the sacrificial Lamb, the one without blemish, walked through the same gate that you would have taken the Passover Lamb. Go ahead. We sometimes miss the point of Jesus, too, don't we? Sometimes we take Jesus for granted. And if I can speak really frankly for a minute, one of the things that bothers me sometimes. And I believe he usually comes out of a good place. But when we only think of Jesus as somebody who substitutes for our sins, in other words, when when we think all that matters about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is that somehow something would happen to us after we die, then we fundamentally miss the point. Because part of what it means to follow in this way of Jesus is that we do sometimes miss it too, but go ahead, hit that next one, but that this sacrifice is for us anyway, right? That we would begin to live a different way. What difference does it make? If we begin to understand that Jesus died for us, then this isn't just about something later. That our sins, all the things we've done that bring brokenness in the world, all the things that we've done to bring brokenness to relationships with our parents, with our brothers, with our sisters, with our neighbors, with all those people, if we understand that all those things are taken care of, then, then we begin to understand that, go ahead, hit the next one, please, the next two, that once and for all, the sin is gone that the price has been paid. For some of us today, and I don't know exactly where you are, but let me just say this. For some of us today, we struggle with some things that, that maybe just keep coming up. Maybe there's some sins that we feel like, that no matter what happens, we feel like it's just holding over us all the time. Maybe there's some things from our past. Maybe there's some habits that we have that we just can't seem to let go of. Can I say to you today, out loud, you are forgiven. If you turn to Christ, if you accept this, you are forgiven. And sometimes we we live in this place of uncertainty where maybe I'm not sure. And maybe some of us would say, well, Brian, you don't understand today. You don't understand all the things I've done. You don't really know me. You don't know my past. I don't, I don't. But he does. And he knew even on the cross all those things. He paid the price once and for all. Next slide. And so we live into this Thing where we begin to understand that what happened at the cross, this sacrifice when the veil was ripped into, makes it such that God's place is every place. Everywhere we go is a holy place. Now we live in in a world that tells us that we can compartmentalize, right? So I can go over here and I can when I'm with these friends, I can be this way, right? And then when I come to church on Sunday, I'm this way. And then when I go to work, I'm with this way. And then on Saturday, I'm with these other friends over here. I'm this way. And I'm with these friends at school, I'm this way. And we live in a world that tells us that's fine. You can compartmentalize all you want. But if we really believe the truth of the cross, if we really believe that this happened, then we have to begin to understand that God's place is every place. He's not just in a church. He's not just when we feel like it. He's not just there when we pray a specific way and it's like some formula, then we have to begin to understand that God's place is every place. Let me just ask you a question today. What difference would it make in your life if you started to live like God's love was for you and with you everywhere you went? Not just on Sunday, not just when I'm praying. Next slide. So we celebrate this first, this this sacrifice, this death to life. And Jesus says some interesting things if you read in the Gospels. He says something like, those who would follow me have to take up their cross. That we have to somehow die to ourself, our selfishness, so that others can live. Now maybe you've been at this place in your life, but here's what I know. If I choose to pursue everything that's selfish that everything that I would want, guess where that leads? You become, a very unhappy... <laughs> you become unhappy. You become, to be frank, it leads to death. The world tells us, if it feels good, do it. The world tells us, hey, everybody else is doing it. You want to do it, you go for it. Good for you. But what's interesting is, even people, even people who don't follow Jesus get this concept, that if I'm willing to sacrifice of myself, then guess what? I can help others. I can point others to something else. This is the life that God's called us to, this better kind of life. Next slide. And so we celebrate first fruits. This life of love that God gives us, we can't help but give back out of that. What difference does the resurrection make? Stay with me for a second. What difference does the resurrection make? It means that we would choose a life of love that we would choose to love even when that annoying guy at work is super annoying. <laughs> even when that, that person sitting next to us on the school bus is really bothersome, even then. Even, even, when, even when somebody cuts you off in traffic, yes, even then. <laughs> that somehow we would begin to live this life of love. Next slide. This changes everything. Next one, please. What God calls us to is this new life. Not just a life that begins after we die. Jesus taught us to pray something really interesting. Uh, We call it the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And then he says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now listen to this phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't say, your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven after everybody dies. (laughs) But we often talk about it that way. What it says is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know how God wants things to be? Through his son Jesus, right? And Jesus chose to live this life of love again and again and again and again. What would it be like if we lived like the resurrection happened? I don't know where you are today. I don't really know what, what's going on in your life. I don't even know where you stand in terms of the cross and resurrection. Maybe some of us in here are just asking some questions. What, what, what difference does this really make? And, and I'll just be honest with you. Some of you are asking the question, I don't really see much difference in Christians than anybody else. And I'll just say, I'm sorry, you're right. For most of the time, we don't live up to what we're called to but can I say to you, if you're willing to live into this new life, it can change everything. Somebody once said that the, the hardest thing for those of us in the West about following Jesus is that we're simply not desperate enough. Might be true. But I've got a hunch today that some of us deep in our heart are pretty desperate to get rid of some sin, to get rid of some brokenness that's holding us, that's over top of us. Maybe it's sexual sin like pornography that we can easily hide and just kind of sweep under the carpet and and we all have these phones and we have all these ways that we can access it so freely and so much in private and we just think nobody knows and it doesn't matter. Maybe it's something like the way that we're treating our parents or or our friends or or the people around us And maybe, you know, when we're around certain people, we act really nice, but when we're around other people, we, to be frank, act like the devil. (laughs) Maybe for some of us, it's some brokenness in our our relationship with people who maybe aren't so close. We're just kind of ashamed of, and we don't want to address. Whatever it is for you, can I say to you that there is an opportunity to live into a new life of love through Jesus Christ. The band's going to come. And we're going to sing a song, and this song I think encompasses really well this place where, where if we're willing to step into this faith in Jesus, if we're willing to see something bigger, then the life that it calls us into is a life of freedom. We pray with me, Father God. We thank you today for what you give us. We thank you today for your Son Jesus and for. The, the road he went down. God, forgive us of the times and places where we maybe we think, well, it's just a story or it was just an accident. God, help us to see how intentional you were in the whole process to point us to the reality that Christ paid the price for our sins. The one who was perfect, the one who was without sin paid that price all the way to death and that his victory in his whole life was to say no to sin and have victory over sin, even death. And what it means when we have faith, teach us what it means to have faith, is to live in this life of freedom and love. We pray these things in Jesus' name.